All right, you guys, it is March, and that means one thing to me. It's my birthday month. I love March. I love celebrating my birthday. It started out as a week celebration when I was married to Steve and then progressed throughout our marriage to a month. And now Matt just has to put up with that. Nothing special has to be done during my birthday month, but anything that happens for the good I consider a celebration of my birthday. I like to see the positive, and so I take this opportunity to spend more time with friends and family, to work out harder, to do all of those things that bring me joy. And I especially like to be bold this month and give myself new challenges and to push myself a little harder because that's when I feel the best about myself. So this month, one of the things that I have loved over the past year is how you guys have shown up for us and supported us. So I decided to put together a birthday bash giveaway. So it is called the Be Bold Birthday Bash Giveaway. How is that for a lot of alliteration? And we want you to celebrate with us. So the first thing you need to do is to go to the link in our bio and sign up for our email list. Details will be coming through there as well as on social media. But if you're on the email list, you have to be on the email list to get the biggest prize at the end. So we have lots of prizes along the way. We have over $1,000 worth of gifts and prizes and things that have been donated, experiences, and I cannot wait, you guys. We have some awesome stuff that people have given to us that I am just blown away by people's generosity and once again, just feel overwhelmed with love and support, as you should during your birthday month. So go check it out, sign up for our email list, and then stay tuned for all the awesome things that are coming your way. What's up, everybody? This is Matt here with the Husband-in-Law Podcast. This is where we share our stories of love, ex-love, marriage, ex-marriage, divorce, ex-divorce, and coming out of a closet that needed to be opened, and so much more. This podcast is for those who are looking to up their relationship game by understanding first yourself, then others, like your wife, your husband, and your wife's ex-husband on a whole new level. Welcome to the Husband-in-Law Podcast. Let's get this party started. All right, you guys, we have a super exciting guest today. We are very pleased to welcome Lindsay Ellison to the show, and she has so much that she offers. I found her on Instagram, but then I have been following her podcast and the things she shares there. And there is just so much for people who are in all different situations and relationships to go and learn from her. She has a book out called Magic Words, How You Get What You Want from Your Narcissist, which I need to read this. Um, sounds amazing. She has coaching programs, e-courses, and then her podcast is called Unbreakable You, Break Up Without Being Broken. And so you can go follow her there. You can follow her on Instagram under Lindsay underscore Ellison. And then where else can they find you? On my website, lindsayellison.com. Perfect. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us today. I am so excited too. And I've never podcasted with three people. This is really fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's what everyone says. Yeah, it can get to be a little much and we'll try not to cut each other off. So 
But tell us about yourself. We want to hear your background and story, and then we'll dive into some things. Sure. So I got into coaching about seven years ago. So I kind of call myself a dinosaur a little bit because it's um, seven years ago. There wasn't really much of a kind of divorce breakup coaching. Now everyone's getting into it, which is a good thing. I got divorced 10 years ago. And actually, it was 10 years ago yesterday that I, I and I only remember this because we had a huge blizzard here in the East Coast. And that was the day I said I wanted a divorce. So it was 10 years ago yesterday that kind of it all, my whole life started to change. And I was married for, I was with him for 17 years. So I met him my sophomore year in college and we just had a really kind of weird relationship. And that's all I knew. You know, I was 19 years old and next thing you know, I'm, we're living together right after college. And next thing you know, I'm having two babies before I'm like 26. So I, knew around in my 20s that something was off about a relationship. But again, you know, I'm married for the long haul. You know, I divorce was not in my family. I didn't even know what that word was. And it was really when I hit 30, it was, I remember turning 30 and just kind of going, what am I doing? And this doesn't feel good to me. And just so much about his behavior was off, very controlling, very passive aggressive. Couldn't quite put my finger on it. Even after we separated, I really didn't know. I just knew I wasn't happy. So leaving that marriage was incredibly difficult. My kids were four and seven at the time. So I turned 30, but it took me five years to actually do something about it. And which is pretty much the kind of that normal, like you're thinking about it, you're working on it, working on it, working on it. And then once I got out, here I am, 35 years old, never having lived with anyone or by myself, I mean, never been single. And I was a complete wreck. And I was on the one hand, very excited that I was out of that marriage. I just went through just kind of this complete like identity crisis as to what is life now. And throughout that entire, you know, those kind of just a couple years after being separated and divorced, I felt really guilty, awful. Like I did something wrong. And he never took accountability. So the default was for me to take accountability. So I really thought there was something wrong with me. And it really wasn't until I started dating, did I meet a guy and this guy was a complete psychopath and um, he was a narcissist. And that's really when I learned the word narcissism. And I was one elated that I actually could identify a word with such behavior But two, I was pretty pissed off because I had been in marriage counseling for so many years and not once did my therapist ever use that word in our counseling dynamic. So having been a journalist in my prior life, I thought I have to research this and understand what narcissism is. And I want to forget, I went to the bookstore one day after another therapist told me about narcissism and there was one book on it. And now there's like a gazillion of them, which is good. But that was kind of a call to action for me that I needed to research this. So really what happened is I just started researching it and started writing about it. And then I ended up writing for Huffington Post. And that's really what the game changer was for me. I started writing about it and it just like hit a chord. And one night, one article went viral and then like my inbox was blowing up and then suddenly I had a career change. You know, I was starting to really help people get through this. And so that was seven years ago. And um, since then, I guess I've kind of been labeled as a narcissism expert because I've just done so much research on it. Yeah. And then having 
gone through that relationship. And then now I was able to understand a personality disorder, which was then able to help me identify that my ex-husband was a covert narcissist and knowing the difference between covert and overt, we could talk about that. Um, that really led me into just opening up a whole Pandora's box of past trauma and things that I had to deal with, with my own father who was a narcissist or is a narcissist. And so that's really how I got into it. That's awesome. I mean, a long road, but so cool that you put in all that research and now you have this thing that kind of fell into your lap as something you can do to help other people. Yeah. And, and, you know, I coach people worldwide and it's issue that I think, um, so narcissism is a personality disorder that did not get recognized in the DSM, which is the diagnostic statistic manual for behavioral health. And it did not get recognized as an issue at all until like seven years ago, really when I just got started. So if you imagine all of these therapists that are out there in the world, they don't know about it. So that's why it is really a fairly new concept that people are really understanding. And then once I start to put the facts with the behavior and understanding that kind of guilt aspect that we all feel when we're dealing with a narcissist, I start connecting the dots for people. And that is really where you know the joy of my work is really helping people understand oh, it's not just me. <laughs> yes, the aha moments, right? Exactly. And honestly, I feel like the first time I really understood like gaslighting was when I saw some of your posts and I was like, oh my goodness. And it was that like aha moment of this isn't in my head. I'm not making this up. This person I'm dealing with really is like, this is their issue. It isn't me. And it was such a relief. It's a relief. It really is because narcissists are so skilled at making you feel crazy. Yes. So, okay, so what is gaslighting? Because I don't know what that is. Can we is. step back even further and say, what is narcissism? <laughs> sure. Narcissism is, um, there's a lot of clinical definitions, but I'll just kind of give you my own. But it is a personality disorder. It's a spectrum disorder, meaning that there's various levels of narcissism. Yeah. Um, so let's just use a simple scale of one to 10. There's different ways of measuring in the clinical field, but I'm just going to simplify it. On a scale of one to 10, let's just say anywhere from like level seven to 10, you're, you're really what's called a full-blown narcissist where you're now kind of in that sociopath category. Narcissism is considered as an umbrella disorder. So you can have a personality of disorder of narcissism, but then there's sub disorders out of that. So antisocial personality, borderline personality, just even, you know, alcoholism can lead to a disorder that is an umbrella of um, narcissism. But basically a narcissist is someone who has a significant inflated sense of self when they start to become kind of full-blown, they really begin to lack empathy. They don't value other people's opinions. They really think they're a victim of their entire environment, so they can never be wrong. They often use a lot of tactics to manipulate, and it's like brainwashing. Gaslighting is one of them. We'll cover passive aggression. And then there's really two types of narcissists, covert and overt. Covert meaning kind of think of covert operations. It's you're undercover. And narcissists are typically really charming, very likable, fun. They love to be on stage. They're, um, you know, enamorous. They're just, and we 
all of us, whether it's romantic or not, we can't help but be drawn to them. You know, we want to be in there and uh, uh, share the stage with them and kind of be in their circle. So a narcissist can be very outgoing and charming on to one side, but the covert aspect of them is like one-on-one, they're going to put you down. You know, they're going to do things behind your back. They're real backstabbers. They will basically be very threat coverts are very very well all narcissists but coverts are really threatened by you so if you happen to be outgoing and you're around another outgoing narcissist they like you in the beginning because you help give them supply supply think of gasoline to that false sense of self to the ego but over time if you outshine them you will be a threat to them so they will make sure that they find a way to put you down Narcissists are unbelievably skilled at projection. So projecting is whatever pain and anger that they feel within themselves subconsciously. It's not something that they have any kind of conscious awareness of. They project onto you, you being the victim of their, of their disorder. They're masters at telling you what a horrible person you are. Anything that bothers them about themselves, they will project it onto you to make sure that then you own that said behavior. So over time, when you're with someone for a long time, they really break you down to the point of thinking that you're, there's something wrong with you. And they do that to feel, to be empowered. And they ultimately, if we let them, they take our power away and they're incredible emotional vampires. And you can't rationalize with them. You can't have a healthy conversation with them. They will never take accountability for their actions. And if you're really with a covert narcissist, you'll find yourself apologizing a lot and then walking away going, what just happened? I, why did I just apologize? And then it can get to the point of where it's very abusive. So they will psychologically abuse you, which is the worst kind. There's the physical abuse, there's financial abuse and emotional abuse. And it's a lot of abuse. It's all, it's very, I mean, they're, they're just really, really, they're dangerous people actually. Now, the thing is, is that I think what a lot of people don't cover when they're talking about narcissists is what's going on behind the scenes of what happens to a narcissist. They are typically, they grew up with some kind of trauma. They experience trauma. They don't even know it was trauma. And they repress those feelings. And then suddenly they're around adolescence, they realize that they are being rewarded for behavior that does not really authentically align with them. So let's say uh, we're talking about this guy, Joe, he grew up with an abusive father or mother, alcoholic parents or whatever. And in order to stay away from abuse, this guy, Joe, would then come up with a false sense of self, a sense of grandeur that he's a different person. And if he learns that that type of personality mitigated abuse, that's how they start to kind of morph into that narcissistic, this, think of them as chameleons, they just turn into somebody else. And if they don't work on their hurt from their childhood, they will repress it so much and so well, so deeply rooted into their subconscious that they disconnect from that self. So they don't have an attachment. So a healthy person will say, hey, I know I got my stuff I need to work on, right? 
and I'm going to work through that, but I still can manage a healthy sense of self where a narcissist won't and they repress it. So what happens is, is when they get around people, they get triggered a lot. And so those things that are triggering them are the very things that subconsciously trigger them and remind them of their trauma or that someone is going to expose them and take them down and they don't want that. So they can be very, very aggressive people. And especially when in a divorce or breakup, when you want to have boundaries, narcissists hate boundaries. I call it kryptonite. So boundaries are kryptonite to narcissists. They weaken them. They don't like them. They're very threatened by them. So they will make sure if you're going to try to have a relationship with them, they will make sure that you do not have boundaries and they will reward you for not having boundaries. So they're kind. They're sweet. You know, if you're working one, they'll give you a raise. Uh, You're looking at me like, what? And should you have a boundary and say, even just a word like, you know what, that's not okay with me. I'm mad. And this is why. That is when you'll see the mask come off of this charming, nice person. And then they will punish you dearly for having a boundary. And in, in a romantic relationship, it starts off small. So you'll get a little punishment here. And then you're going to, it's kind of like, what, what is an example of a punishment? Punishment is anger, wrath, putting you down, saying you're stupid, you don't know anything. It's typically anger in the beginning. If you're with someone who's really unhealthy, that's when it turns into physical abuse, right? Yeah. But the, in the beginning of the relationship, the punishments are just a little bit, right? And it's like they give you sugar water right after that, which is apologies. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I love you. Please forgive me. And then you're like, okay. And then what happens is that they start to turn it so much that for every time they punish you, they're going to remind you from a rewarding standpoint how much you need them. You know, you couldn't be in this world without me. Thank God I, you have me because uh, I could give you financial reward. Or if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be where you are today. And then you start to believe them. So what they do is they, the punishment is that psychological aspect so that you can then depend on them even further. And then over time, if you stay with this person, they will isolate you. Your friends will be gone. They don't like your friends. They don't like your parents. They don't like your lifestyle. All the things that they liked about you in the beginning, they'll start to put you down to make you question yourself. You know, at the end of 17 years, like me, you're like, where did all my friends go? And what happened to that life? And who am I? Because the very person that I used to be when I met him, which is actually now who I am today, that used to threaten him and he would put me down constantly. And because I have two little kids and I didn't want to leave and I knew I'd be financially screwed if I did, I stayed. And that's why we stay for lots of different reasons. And I could go on and on. I don't want to like keep want to have you guys get a word in here. (laughs) This is good. No, it is good. So I guess what I'm dealing with, like as you go through all of these, hey, this is what a narcissist is. This is this, this, and this. Like I start like slumping down like, oh my gosh. Like you just described a lot of people we know. (laughs) Right. Not a lot. But there's a few few key people in each of our lives that when I started listening to your stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, like, and literally listening to you just now, like tears in my eyes because it's like, oh my goodness, like this is... It explains a lot. Yes, it explains so much. And I feel bad for these people. Like I want to help them, but I also can't because it's so personal at this point that those boundaries have to stay in place or else 
I'm a mess. Right. And you can't help someone unless they really want to be helped. And so then the issue is, of course, that narcissists, being that they don't take accountability for what they do, they are not going to think that they need help. And that is the real tragedy of this disorder. I mean, I, I'm co-parenting with one. I've been doing it for 10 years. And I mean, every other day, I see just the, the root of this disorder and that the way he, and now my kids are teenagers and they're, they're just like, oh my God, dad this and dad that. And, and he won't listen to me. I mean, he thinks he's right. And narcissists can be very paranoid as well. So they think everyone's out to get them. And they really believe, I'll just reinforce that they really think that they're a victim of everyone's aggression. And it's funny because they're the aggressive ones, but they think everyone else is out to get them. Is it virtually impossible to encourage a narcissist to get counseling, healthy counseling? How do you help a narcissist? So, you know, I have a phrase and there's somewhere in my Instagram, I think I put a little meme out there about it. But um, (laughs) if you ever wonder whether you're a narcissist, you're not. Because, (laughs) (laughs) right? Because narcissists, you know, don't ever think that there's something wrong with them. Thank you. I, I, feel, needed to hear I feel that. a little burden lifted yeah. because I feel like some of the things you brought up earlier could apply to me, but hey, I was questioning it, so I guess I'm not. No, I mean, and, and there, are, there really are healthy forms of narcissism. So yeah. for instance, if you have to get up on stage and speak to 300 people, you've got to know that you're a badass and you have to tell yourself, I am the best in order to have confidence that you, yes. can, that you can do it or starting a business, you know, or doing anything risky. You've got to have these healthy forms of narcissism. And that's really where it's not in that The right amount of category. confidence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you had asked about gaslighting earlier. Do we want to jump to that topic? What is gaslighting? Okay, so gaslighting came from, it's a term that is commonly used now, but it really came from the movie called Gaslight. Definitely watch this movie. It's, I think, a 19, late 1940s film. And black and white film about a couple that, you know, he's this wonderful guy. She's beautiful. He's handsome. They get together and it seems like a match made in heaven. But slowly he starts to deteriorate her mental health and basically isolates her in this home. And one of the things that he was doing to really make her crazy is that he would go up to the attic and loosen the lights, which were gas lights at the time. And he would loosen the gas light or however, I don't know how it works, but um, loosen the gas so that the lights would flicker. And she would then say, why are the lights flickering? And he would say, no, they're not. What are you talking about? And she's like, no, no, no. Did you see that? This is The lights are flickering. And he would say no. And he would do that on purpose to literally make her question her sanity, which over time she becomes crazy. So that's what really gaslighting is. That's where the term came from, where you say one thing and the narcissist says, no, that didn't happen. So for instance, you know, let's just say you're in a... In a- I have a perfect example of this. Over New Year's, This year, I was supposed to have my children for New Year's, and it switches every other year. And I got a message from one of my children saying, hey, by the way, we've decided we're going to stay with mom this year for New Year's. And I was like, wait a second, it's my year. It's like, you can't do that. And so then I approached mom and saying, hey, I'm not sure what the deal is here. And she says, I don't know what you're talking about. 
the kids are deciding this on their own. Like, I'm going to stay out of it. Leave me out of this. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, wait a second. That's like placing it on me now that this is my issue. Well, and it was obvious from the children's text that she was being coached. She was, they were, being, they were coached. being coached. Like these weren't normal things they said, not normal words they used. So there was somebody behind it. It wasn't just them. Of course. But it totally came back that we were <laughs> the ones that were in the wrong here. And like, it, yeah. We were the ones in the wrong because we were going against what our children desired. Yeah. Right. And that is a classic parental alienation move that yeah. you got to definitely nip that in the bud and not and keep up your boundary there because how do I nip that in the butt? <laughs> it's a big fat no. You're going up to pick them up and I've believe me many times I have had to get out my divorce decree, take a screenshot of it and say, "See line 2, page 4. No, I have New Year's." I'm going to pick them up at five and that's it. And then you don't, you're not negotiating with them because that's, that's a clear cut black and white issue. Yeah. Right. But for her to say, as an example, to, to talk about gaslighting is that to take it further, if she said, but you said this, but you told me that I could, let's just say as an example, um, don't you remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and you're like, did I? And now you're looking through your texts and they're like, no, I didn't No, She, I mentioned it to you. And then to take it even further, she'll say, are you feeling okay? Is there something wrong with you? And so what they do is that they will, you guys are all, are we in video? All these, like, all these aha do, so I just want to see the body language that's going on with the three of you. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh boy. But then what they do is that they stay so calm. So now they get us so mad, right? You're pissed. You're like, oh my God, no, I didn't say that. And they do that to have, for you to have rage. And then you'll see them get really calm. And then they start to come and come off as your rescuer. You're the crazy one. <laughs> they can get crazy too, but you'll see it. I call it a tennis match, right? They throw a ball, you throw a ball. Then you throw a ball. And then they'll throw 20 balls at you. And then you're sitting there on the other side of the court going, stop it. What's going on? And then they just stop playing. And they're like, are you okay? What's wrong with you? I'm really worried about you. And then if you're romantically involved with this person and if you love them and you don't want the relationship to end, you will actually surrender and say, I'm sorry, I guess you're right. And then they reward you for saying such a thing. So rewarding you meaning, should you play along with the gaslighting and you've allowed them to gaslight you, they will reward you with safety, safety in the relationship, good behavior for a couple of weeks, and then it starts over. So it's truly a cycle of abuse. It does. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lindsay, are you, you're co-parenting with your ex? Oh, yeah. You guys, what's your custody arrangement? Is it? We have 50-50. So tell us about your experience co-parenting with a narcissist. Teach us your ways. <laughs> so I have to say, having coached so many people, he's not that bad, truthfully, and he's bad but he's not that bad. So I just, I want to just say, cause I'm sure you have a lot of listeners are going to hear this and they're going, Oh my God, that's my story. And the stories can be way worse than mine. So thank God. I think the other reason why he may not be that bad is because I'm three steps ahead of him always. And that's what my book is about to train your brain to think this way. I've also done a lot of work on myself. Does your ex, has he read your book? Has he listened to your podcast or do you even know? Not only do I not know, but I don't care, right? right? 
I mean, probably. I have no idea. And that's one of the things people ask me. That's kind of the number one question I get is, does he see, does he know what you do for a living? Yes, he does. He knows what I do for a living. Um, I'm sure he has probably glimpsed at my website. I doubt he listens to my podcast. You know, but uh, when I first started the business and I was really blogging and I'm, I had a lot of viral posts, you know, I did kind of worry, but then I thought, well, who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, right? and that's one of the things that I think is the growth aspect of dealing, you know, the, the work you have to do on yourself is to not be afraid of them and to really know the true power that you have over this person is to know that they are like, you have to think of them as disabled adults, that they just don't know any better and they can only function in a very small agency within themselves. And once you realize that, you can outsmart them. I swear, that's the whole point of my book is you can really outsmart them. Basically, I should only be focusing in on myself and don't even worry about anything that she's doing. 100%. And of course, when we share children, we worry about it and they know that and then they take advantage of it. Um, but truly, when we're early co-parenting and we're kind of figuring this out and kind of, you know, we're trying to be nice, right? You can't be nice. You just can't. There's no negotiating. There's, you're never going to be friends with them. They're never going to change no matter how many times you try to give them advice about something or try to have a reasonable compromise. You can't. You really have to outsmart them. And that's really what kind of the, the methodology, the approach that I have is in my book. But shoot, what was the question that I was originally answering? I forget. What's it like co-parenting yeah. with a narcissist? Oh, my situation. So I have to say in the beginning... Remember when I said when we first split, I had a lot of guilt. I mean, this guy, 17 years of telling me what an amazing person he is. And I stopped being attracted to him pretty early on. Like I'd say in my, I think like late 20s, early. And I thought it was like having a baby and like maybe my hormones were off or something. But that was the first thing that went was physical attraction. I did love him. But again, I put that on me. I thought there was something wrong with me. I mean, I went to doctors. I got my blood work done because I'm like, why am I not wanting to like ever even kiss him? I didn't even want to hold his hand. That's a huge red flag. So if you feel that way, there's something wrong with the relationship. It's nothing has to do with you, right? Yeah. Um, then I think from there, I um, really started to see that how his anger, I mean, he just had these massive outbursts and then boop, everything's fine. Like for two weeks. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Once I got out, it was a horrible breakup and that it was the begging and the pleasing and like, I'll do anything. I promise I will change. Just give me another chance. Let's go to counseling. And I, I was really done. I mean, I was really, really done. And there was just no going back for me. I said, there's just nothing you can do to make this work. So of course it was positioned as I was basically abandoning the family and that's how it felt. And I had two baby boys and they were just the sweetest little things. And it was just the worst feeling ever. And so I'd say for the first two years out, I carried so much guilt. So co-parenting was quite easy because I did everything he asked me to do, such as he has an hour commute. So, hey, I'm running uh, late from work. Can you go pick them up? So I'm working. I was working full time at a place, but I was nearby. I'd drop everything that I would do and go help him out. I'd start dinner for him because that's how guilty I felt. And then once I started 
getting through therapy with another person and more reading about this than anything, I learned the C word, which is codependency. Ah, codependency, <laughs> right? Um, and that is the other factor. You cannot be in a narcissistic relationship and have it be dysfunctional without you being codependent. So codependency really comes from your childhood, my childhood, and we were, remember how I said the narcissist was rewarded for certain kinds of behavior? So were we. So the way I explain the dynamic, the dance, I call it the dysfunctional dance between a narcissist and a codependent, is we actually have come from the same type of childhood. And that's what matches us in the beginning. So I had a trauma, you have a trauma, oh, we have so much in common, right? But I always say somewhere during adolescence, there's a fork in the road. If we've been dealing with any kind of abuse, neglect, some kind of trauma, and I really want to footnote the word trauma because it does not have to be trauma the way you think, where we've witnessed a murder or something horrible had to happen. Trauma is just something where we store a memory in a completely different part of our brain than we do normal memories, okay? So we remember it, we store it, we lock it up in a vault. And so what we do is when we're dealing with conflict at home with our parents, we then, we learn a narrative that we get rewarded by being the good child, the pleasing child, the one who doesn't speak up, the one who's just like that happy kid all the time. And then ultimately, that's the kind of the, or the beginning origins of codependency. And then we start to become doormats and we don't even know it. So the origin of codependency is really where I know for me in my home growing up, if I had a boundary like, you know, like teenagers do, I was severely punished for speaking up. Like I could never talk back. I could never have feelings. So I was rewarded from my father to go along with him. And so then I end up marrying someone just like him. That's normal. So okay. I have a phrase where I say, we attract our partners that reflect the parent that wounded us the most. Wow. This transitions into, honestly, the part of your work that fascinates me the most, that I relate to the most, is, is one of the episodes in your podcast where you talk about your relationship with your father and how some of that carried into who you attracted as a mate. Yep. Which I know you were leading up to anyway. So let's, can we talk about that, a relationship with a narcissistic parent? Yeah. Well, let me, I want to first answer the question about my co-parenting and then I'll get into that because I just wanted to explain that. So it really wasn't until I worked on that and really learned that the origin of my codependency and my crap, my baggage had everything to do with my past trauma. And so I realized that the only way I'm going to change this dynamic of co-parenting and stop doing everything for him meant I needed to have some boundaries. So then yeah. once I learned those boundaries, that's when co-parenting got really difficult because I'm like, no, I'm not going to go pick up the kids. You have to go pick them up. And then he'd make me feel guilty. And so it's really about, you know, putting on a thick skin and not letting them bother. So when they're blowing up your phone and telling you what a horrible person you are, you just walk away. You just don't do anything. Well, and now that, that parent will scream from the rooftops that they now have a co-parent that isn't willing to co-parent. Right. And then you just have to know that you're not that person. See, what they're doing, that's a great example of projection. They're not willing to co-parent. So they project all of their crap and their disorder onto you. And then if you're not smart enough, then you own, I always say, we take on their disorder as our disorder. And we have to know not to do that. 
Um, and so now once I started to do that and have boundaries, I got punished a lot, but I just stopped caring and yeah. I got strong and very much empowered. Now, the only source of that empowerment had nothing to do with me and him. It had everything to do with my work on my childhood, right? And understanding where did that start? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Husband-in-Law. All right, now we have a challenge for you. We challenge you to go give someone a huge hug or send a simple gratitude note who needs to receive it specifically from you. If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't subscribed yet, please be sure to do so now. Also, don't forget to give us a review. We read every single one of them. Until next time, keep striving to make your relationship the best it can possibly be.